0: Good morning, morning. if you would turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians the third chapter, I'm going to read beginning in the 14th verse, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful again to be able to approach you, to be able to approach you with boldness, to be able to approach you with confidence. And our boldness and confidence rests upon Christ. For we believe that he died, was buried, rose again, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. Father, we pray that this prayer that we're studying this morning may be the prayer in our lives. And importantly, we pray that we know the realization of this prayer day by day. Bless your word now. Uh, Give us ears to hear and hearts to believe and a will to obey, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin a new year. Probably, a lot of us are glad to see the old year go. A new one begin. A new time, as it were, of beginning. Last year was at least for me, a difficult year. But yet when I look back, when I look back by faith, I see the hand of God even in the midst of the difficulties. I've entitled this sermon this morning A New Year Prayer. And I did so because as I read through this section of Scripture... I began to think of some of the things I want in my life and in the life of this church. And I found those things contained within this prayer. For I want more than anything to know that Christ dwells within. And more than anything to know something of the immensity of the love of God. And to some measure, to some measure, understand the fullness of God. This prayer is addressed to God the Father, but he said, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. And I would think I could also call this a family prayer, for we are the family of God. We have the same Father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And what I desire for my life, I desire for my spiritual family, for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to make just a few general observations about uh, prayer and then a few points The main points, I don't have time this morning to go into all of it, but the main points of this prayer. This is not the first prayer to be found in the book of Ephesians. Paul has already prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15 through verse 23. So it's twice Paul gives way to prayer. Now both of these prayers have something in common. And that is that both of these prayers are run-on sentences. I mean, we divide them up in order that we might be able to more easily read the prayer. But that's not the way the prayer was actually written. In fact, if you would look at the book of Ephesians, the first chapter only contains two sentences in the original. And one of those sentences is a prayer. It's a run-on prayer. Now, I know something about run-on sentences. I speak them. I write them. I remember some years ago studying for the ministry. I was given an assignment to write an essay, and I wrote out the essay. I got a decent score, but right in the middle of it, the instructor wrote run-on sentence. I had to chuckle about it because what he actually corrected was not my writing. If he would have looked down at the footnote, I quoted someone else. But well, that was okay. I learned something about run-on sentences. But I believe here what you're really seeing is some kind of volcanic eruption out of the heart of the Apostle Paul in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here he has been talking about the eternal purpose of God. He has been dwelling upon what God has done, what God will do, what God is doing. And in the middle of all that, he gives way to prayer. It reminds me of the prophet Jeremiah. He said, His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And then David wrote, As I mused or as I meditated, the fire burned, and I spake with my mouth. And that's what I see is taking place here. Here's the Apostle Paul sitting in a prison, imprisoned for the faith. His heart has gone out to God. He has set before the people of God some of the most tremendous teachings in all of Scripture. And he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed in the first chapter. And he gives way to prayer. And now, once again, as he contemplates the eternal mysteries of God that God has revealed to us through Christ Jesus, he does the very same thing. He just erupts outward into this wonderful instructive, yes, but wonderful time of glorious praise and petition unto God the Father. That is the first thing I would say about this. It is a run-on prayer, but what a tremendous prayer it is. The second thing I would say about this before we look at it is that this is a prayer that God will answer. We don't always know how to pray, as we should. We're often confused. We don't know the will of God in every single circumstance of life. And often we set before God our petitions, but we always, in that time of not knowing for sure, we always say, thy will be done, not ours. Thy will be done, not ours. But here is a divinely inspired prayer. It came from a heart filled with God. But nevertheless, it came under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And God wanted this prayer written down that we might pray this prayer and that we might pray this prayer with absolute certainty that God will answer it. And I'm not saying that we should go through and just read the prayer. I'm saying the contents of the prayer, what he desires for the church, What he desires for the church, he even goes on to say, worlds without end, on and on and on, even down to our day, what he desired for the church is inspired, and God will grant what's desired here. I believe that with all my heart. We ought to measure in praying what the first church prayed, and we'll see the results the first church saw. Now, there are just three things I want to bring out about this prayer. I can't cover every single little nuance of the prayer. But the first thing is this. My prayer this year is that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. He prayed that Christ might dwell through faith, verse 17. This flows out of the thoughts that are expressed in the 16th verse. Out of his glorious riches. Look again at verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being so that Christ might dwell in your heart through faith. Out of his glorious riches. As of 2020, there were six... 142 billionaires in the United States. Oddly enough, none of them were in Vermont. I don't know what happened there. 642 billionaires. But I'm going to say something. The humblest saint is richer than all of them put together. It's richer than all of them put together. For what we have here is something that cannot be bought with money, with no amount of money, but of something that is freely given us in Christ Jesus. We're rich, the riches of his grace. In chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has blessed us. His grace has blessed us. And in chapter 1, verse 7, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished upon us. Isn't that something? We think about the word grace. We think about the word riches. The riches of His grace that He what? That He lavished upon us. Out of the riches, His glorious riches, That we may be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. How we need power to live in this world. There are so many distractions. There are so many temptations. There's so much set against living the Christian life. We desperately need that supernatural power. But power for what? Power for some great feat that we are to perform? No. A power to work some kind of miracle that the whole world might look and say, look at this? No. It is power in order that Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith. Divine riches. Power of God. Power to enable Christ to dwell within our hearts by faith. Now, Christ does dwell in every single believer's heart by faith. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That seal cannot be taken away. The Spirit is Christ in us, as Paul will say in Colossians. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Christ already dwells within us. Why then is he saying that Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith? I believe this is the reason we so often lose sight of it. The indwelling Christ is there. The indwelling Christ is always going to be there. But we are not always conscious of the fact that Christ lives within us. And I believe that's the substance of his prayer when he says you need the power of God. You need the strength of God. And God's going to give you that power. He's going to give it out of his glorious riches. You're going to experience that power in the inward man. Why? So that you might be conscious every single day that Christ lives in you. Oh, Brother Lawrence, Hundreds of years ago, wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Not a very big book. He worked in a monastery. He said, I would pick up straw into the glory of God. He talked about how you might practice the presence of God. But I'm saying there's something here more than just practice. There is a dependence upon God. There is dependence upon the power of God. There is dependence upon the grace of God. There is dependence upon God working that faith within that we might day by day know, know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ lives in us. What a tremendous blessing and what a transforming thought that is. And may that be our prayer this year that we might be conscious of the fact that Christ lives in us. Then the second thing I would point out, he also went on to pray, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Christ dwelling within the heart, now rooted and established in love. There's two pictures there. Rooted, it's a picture of a garden, a plant growing out of the garden and bearing fruit. Now, I live a fairly simple life. I have only a few hobbies I love to read, especially theology. I like to hike when my body cooperates. I like to take pictures, but I especially love to garden. And I know that gardening needs good soil. And I put a lot of work into making sure that my soil is good. My wife joked with me, because often in the mornings I go out and sit by my garden with a cup of coffee and stare at it. She said, if staring at a garden could make plants grow, you'd have the best garden anywhere around. But I love to watch the plants as they mature and as they grow. And here we have the best soil imaginable. The greatness of God's everlasting love. A picture of a plant. The individual planted in the love of God, growing up and bearing fruit. But not only that, but he says, you are rooted and you're established. Now that word established points to a foundation. A building growing up. And I know what kind of a building it is. It's a temple Of the Holy Spirit. For not only are we planted in the love of God. We're also established upon that love. And we build up into a great building. A building. Of a dwelling place. Of the Holy Spirit. The love of God. What tongue can ever sing properly of the love of God? What sermon can ever proclaim it as it needs to be proclaimed? But I want you to notice in this prayer, Paul says that the love of God has dimensions. He said the love of God is wide, and the love of God is long, and the love of God is high, and the love of God is deep, a perfect cube. The love of God is wide? How wide? How wide is God's love? While it's as wise as stretched out arms of Christ, it says in the book of Revelation chapter 5, beginning of verse 9, speaking of the Christ, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. How wide is the love of God? It is wide enough to encompass every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And Paul prays that we might understand exactly how wide the love of God is. And not only that, but how high is the love of God? Psalm 108, verse 4. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Now high are the heavens. None of us knows. The Hubble telescope, looking out, found the most distant galaxy so far discovered. It is 13.4 billion light years away. And I'll let you in on a little something about that. It's moving away from us. I don't know where it's going. But think about that. 13.4 billion. How many miles is that? (laughs) A lot. 186,000 miles per second. That's what light travels. 186,000 times 60, times 60, times 24, times 365, times 13.4 billion. Now, how many zeros do you have? And that's not the expanse of a universe. That's only what we've detected. It's a mind-boggling thought. And I don't think Paul was sitting around thinking that. I thought that. But he's trying to emphasize the idea that as far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great, how high, how wonderful, how infinite is the love of God. And how deep is that love? Well, it's deep enough to reach down to the worst of sinners. That's what Paul said, the chief of sinners. It's deep enough to reach down to me. And it's deep enough to reach down to you, wherever you are, and whatever you're going through. A love that is wide. A love that is high. A love that is long. For the love of God stretches from eternity to eternity. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, says that we are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And yet, chosen in him before the foundation of the world, and yet we'll continue on long after the world has ceased to be in a new heavens and a new earth. That love is long. It is high. It is wide. It is deep. It is long. A love that never, ever will end has been bestowed upon us. And then I think about what he said here. It almost seems as though it doesn't make any sense when he says he desires that you know the love of God. That surpasses knowledge. Can you know something you don't know? Hmm. You can by experience. A person falls in love, one person with another. They know by experience they're in love, but if you ask them to explain it to you, they'll fumble, mumble around. They may say this or say that, but they can't fully explain what it really means to love. And Paul was saying, I want you to know what you really cannot know. But the key point is that you can experience. Romans 5, verse 5, For the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by His Spirit whom He has given us. What we cannot know, we nevertheless can experience. And my prayer this year for myself and for my family here is that not only may we be conscious of the indwelling Christ, that we may know something in a deep, experiential way of how much God loves us in Christ Jesus. And then the third thing he said, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, I don't have time to go deeply into that, and I'm not sure I can. It can mean the fullness which is God. But I rather think it means the fullness that comes from God. And there could be a lot said about spiritual growth and the fullness of God that we might be filled with a measure of the fullness of God. But I would just remind you of the fruit of the Spirit. For that surely has something to do with a measure of the fullness of God that God would grant us this year. The fruit of the Spirit, that we might be people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and meekness and faithfulness and of self-control. That Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith, yes. That we be rooted and grounded in love, yes. That we might somehow manifest something of the fullness of God, Yes. But then some of them might say, no, how can it ever be possible? How can this prayer ever be answered? Look at verse 20. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work in us. Oh, it's not something we can accomplish it's not something we can work ourselves up to. It is something that must come down from above. And he reminds us that God is able to do even more than we can ask or than we can think. Immeasurably more. And surely he can answer the prayer set forth here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I would finish with this thought, verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You know, sometimes we come across passages like this that are so mind-boggling, so far beyond our ability to understand. You know what we do? We try to take all these great ideas about God, and God's word, and God's will, and what God would do for us, and kind of like a funnel. Here it is, open, all these thoughts of God, and we try to bring it down into our infinite our finite minds, the infinite into the finite. We try to bring it all down, and there's nothing wrong with trying to understand. But if you picture a funnel, and you turn it around, what does it become? It becomes a megaphone. And sometimes in light of these great truths, that's what we need to do. We need to worship and praise and glorify him to the praise of the glory of his grace. And may God be pleased to answer this prayer in each and every one of our lives this year.